and welcome to episode 30 of the Glacially Musical Podcast. This is the news and interviews portion of the show on Wednesdays. I'm sorry, no, on Fridays. I apologize. On Fridays, I release an episode that is done with uh, my co-host Kifi Chakas, where we delve deep into the history of a decade of a band right now. Uh, we are going to be dropping the first Iron Maiden episode in a couple of days, so hopefully you're going to stick around for that. And if you are here because of Dust Profit, don't worry, I'm going to get to Otto here in just a little while. We went a little longer than normal, so I'm going to keep this a little bit short. As always, check out the Fourth Line Voice podcast if you like old-time hockey, especially if you're listening to this episode. Uh, check out uh, Five for Fighting. That's another great podcast about old-time hockey. And I'm also listening to the Terry Ryan podcast, Tales with TR. Uh, he is a former NHL player who was a first-round pick. He wrote a great book called Tales of a First-Round first Nothing. Uh, in the meantime, my, my little parched, so I'm going to crack open a Schlafly Oktoberfest. If you were anywhere within the sound of my voice, hopefully you can pick up a Schlafly. Got to be honest, though, it's a little weird that I am drinking an Oktoberfest in August, but you know what? It tastes good, so I'm going to stick with it. This week, uh, a lot of big stuff going on in my personal life this week. On uh, tomorrow, by the uh, tomorrow morning, we are signing, we are closing on a brand new house, and we'll be moving into that in uh, in a while, not right away. Long, long story, but uh, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, hopefully, when all that goes down, I'm going to have a nicer place to do these podcasts and hopefully sound a little bit better because, quite frankly, I don't know that I sound all that great. Um, and let's see. Let's talk to a little bit of news here. Yano uh, Mamo of uh, Australia and Slomatics of Northern Ireland ha- are releasing a split. Uh, split seven inch that comes out on October or October, August 27th. Definitely check that out. These are two great bands. I've got vinyl by both of them. Uh, Yano Mano, I have their um, one, one of their last LPs, Neither Beast Nor Man. Great sludge metal, just totally awesome stuff. Slomatics, I have uh, live at Roadburn, being as they are uh, across the pond, shipping is. Uh, price prohibitive unfortunately so i uh, did pick up one of the ones i could get from get from amazon to get a much better shipping cost totally love that record um that's going to be coming out like i said that uh it's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks you can uh check it out at slash and definitely you're gonna if you're listening to this, you're definitely going to want to check this out because this is uh, two great bands doing some cool stuff. Uh, other stuff that's happening in my personal life, uh, because people care, maybe. Uh, this week, we had some very, very serious thunderstorms in St. Louis, Missouri, where I live. And we were without power for uh, about 26 hours, which there's a lot of people who had a lot worse than I did. But it was a bit of a grind. And actually ended up being fairly expensive for me uh aside from my usual uh discogs purchases this week where i picked up um the first aerosmith album uh their debut excuse me because that uh it's the one album of theirs i have that i i don't i didn't have so i will now have everything they released on the on their uh run up through pump um just definitely wanted to have that one i guess i'll Trying to decide if I'm going to keep the greatest hits. I guess I should because it's got uh, got come together on it. I don't think that's on any other albums. Recently got uh, Live Bootleg, which is great. Also picked up uh, Leonard Skinner live record, One from the Road. Waiting for that to show up. Uh, and coincidentally, I actually ordered that from a guy in Florida. But um, while we were waiting out the, the power outage yesterday, uh, I had to get uh, plates for my wife's car and... Went to the record store nearby and finally picked up a copy of uh, System of Down's debut album. I actually saw them on OzFest in 1997. Had a good talk with Serge and told him. I've told this story before, but I love this story. And they were the opening act on the second stage that year. And when they came out, 
their backdrop just had that hand. If you know System of Down at all, I'm sure you can remember what that hand looks like, right? And they were totally in character or on, had the game face on, however you want to describe it. And throughout the entire show, they I think they only played a half hour set because you know they were the very first band that day. But the it was truly amazing, wonderful live band. But they never mentioned the name of the band, and it was hard to figure it out. But over the course of the day, because you know it was Ozfest, we got there at nine in the morning or ten in the morning, and we were there all day. But I found a single, uh, the a single, a cassette single, as it were. And it had that hand on it. It had their name. And I, I, I ran into Sir just walking around. At that time, they weren't they weren't as famous as they are now. And had a nice conversation with them. And I told them the same thing. You know, I really had to dig to figure out who you were because you never said your name. And it's not on the backdrop. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can understand that. And then the next time they were in town, I believe it was 1998's OzFest, their backdrop had their name. And they said the name three times. So... I'm going to go ahead and call that as something I did. Don't know if it's true or not, but uh, it it is what it is. Then, you know, after that one, went down to the mall just to, I don't even know why we went to the mall, but a new record store opened up in South County Mall, like a brand new record store. And the place is amazing. It's 8,000 square feet. It's called Joe's Records STL. I don't know if it's a chain or if it's not. I tried to do some Google research and my Google research is about as useful as uh, somebody trying to Google vaccine information, if you take my meaning. But I did some walking around there and they had the Cannibal Corpse's new one, uh, Violence Unimagined, which is actually right now sitting on my turntable. Gonna get a gonna get a good spin on that once I get all this taken care of and done and all that good stuff. Then um, after that, the kid and I went to go get some ice cream and for her and a coffee for me and uh, as we had no power, I didn't have my tea yesterday and I didn't have any coffee. So whew, I just needed something. And then on the way home, I decided, you know what? We're going to go ahead and stop at that new record store on South Grand as well. It's called Circa Now Records. And I picked up a copy of Van Halen, too. It was 15 bucks. Not a great price, not a terrible price. But you know what? Let me add some more Van Halen to the shelf. And moving forward from there. Uh, a, new band, a new band called uh, Boozy Wah just released a single on the 6th of August. And it's a two-song single. Uh, Deb's, Deb is a two-song, seven-inch single that we'll see release on vinyl and digital formats on Friday, August 6th. Recorded and mixed on a Tascam four-track cassette machine. Wow! So that's going to sound really analog and cool. It was mastered by Tad Doyle of the legendary band Tad at at, uh, Witch Ape Studio in Seattle, Washington. That is totally cool. For a project formed in the summer of 2020 by three musicians stuck in lockdown in a house with nothing to do, Buzawa is an agent of creativity and innovation from composition to production. You can check that out on buzawa.bandcamp.com. That's B-O-O-Z-E-W-A.bandcamp.com. Totally check that one out. And we're also going to mention that uh, great doom metal band Sale is releasing a new uh, release a new single uh, actually just two days ago on 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 uh, on the 13th. I'm sorry, Sludge Metal, Sludge Metal Savants Sale emerging as one of the UK's underground most talked about bands are thrilled to announce their upcoming single Flood. By combining sludge metal a la Torch, Baroness, and Mastodon, as well as punk, hardcore bands, and post-rock, Sale has created a robust sound laden with melodic hooks and huge riffs. Uh, Of course, you can check that out at Bandcamp as well. Their Bandcamp is thebandsale.bandcamp.com. T-H-E-B-A-N-D-S-A-I-L.bandcamp.com. So, you know, some cool bands that uh, I've been into for a little while here are uh, putting out some new music. And right now, I'm just going to shut up because Otto and I went long. We talked about uh, we talked about uh, old time hockey and we also got into a little bit of what's going to be our next episode when they release when they get around on their next release. So hopefully uh, you're enjoying it. Check it out and talk to you soon. And we are joined by Otto Kinzel of Dust Profit. How are you doing today? 
I am doing wonderful. It's a nice, sunny, warm day here in New Hampshire. I'm just uh, chilling and getting ready to, you know, help my wife make dinner while my two little girls are causing chaos playing upstairs. <laughs> I am lucky in the fact that both my wife and daughter are uh, at a movie that I didn't have to go to because now we are back to masks and I hate wearing them. So I would rather stay home. What movie did they go to? Uh, they went to see Respect, which... Oh, yeah? Uh, not that interested to begin with. Sorry, Aretha fans. Sorry, Aretha. I loved you on Blues Brothers. But... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they're they're doing that, which is why we're doing this on Sunday afternoon rather than Thursday evening, which is my normal. But, yeah. So they're gone. I have the house to myself. Uh, probably going to drink less beer than I did yesterday while the power was out. Oof. It, was it a, like a heat thing that made the power go out or did something crash into a... We had a major, major storm on Thursday. Yeah. And we lost our power for about 90 minutes. And then when I came home from the grocery store on Friday, as I was pulling up to the grocery store, I got a text message from the power company letting me know that we were out. And it came back on yesterday at 6 p.m. So we were over a 24-hour outage, which... I know it sounds bad, but a lot of other places have it a whole lot worse. And including in St. Louis, I've been pretty lucky to not have these problems. So not was it completely hot? I mean, even if you wouldn't have AC or anything. When... No, we had nothing. Um, I had my phone and I had to go on drives to charge my phone mm -hmm. so I could have my phone. But yeah, nothing. It, it wasn't brutally hot. We're in a bit of a, um, a mild snap for this August. We're getting to about 85 but 85 in St. Louis is still really soupy and gross. So could have been better, could have been worse, but I felt like if I didn't drink as much of the beer in the fridge as possible, it It'd would go, go bad. bad. Yeah, you have a you have an obligation because otherwise then it's just being wasteful. You're wasting Correct. money. Like a terrible example to set for children. And for the first time ever in my life, I sat on my stoop drinking beer like other people in the neighborhood do. And it was lovely. Uh, my kid went back inside so i put on the humpty dance and i'm just sitting watching the humpty dance outside drinking a beer it was great you know what could be a hell of a lot worse so yes then the power came back on and then my wife wanted me to drive over to her mom's house to work on the router or something and i'm like uh yes didn't plan on going anywhere <laughs> so that was fun before the driving <laughs> yeah. so i'm like fine i'll go she's like no no this is a bad idea you sit down okay <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if that's what you want. But uh, obviously, we are here to discuss the greatest sport in the world, hockey. Yes. So, well, it, 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 a sport like no other that, it, you know, uh, I know the NHL has for years been trying to get more people to be fans because uh, I mean, they always, it, it was a big thing in the early, um, was it the late 90s that uh, Fox had the glow puck? You remember that? Oh, I remember the glowing puck. It was in uh, the 90. It was when I worked at the arena. My first job ever was an usher at Keel Center, later Savas Center, later Scott Trade Center, now Enterprise Center. Yeah, that's a lot of name changes. <laughs> hey, that's not that many in 25 years, really. Yeah, you just, know what? Touche. Um, just five they, names in 25 years. It's fine. They thought that was going to help people, tr you know, uh, casual fans track the puck more and and they always want to do this and do that and have this, this change and that change. Oh, we got to get more fans. Get more. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a purist, and in my opinion, you either like hockey or you don't. And well, I'm not interested in. I agree with that, but I'm going to say in their defense. Now, before I defend them on this, what that it was terrible. It was absolutely. It, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it made the game seem so slow. Mm -hmm. That's what it did for me. The one good thing they did was they had this, the other camera so you could see them battling for the puck from the boards. Mm -hmm. And now that they don't blow the whistle for that anymore, it would be great to bring that back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing else. Nothing else. Yeah. But and the thing about it was at that time, television wasn't like what it is now. And watching a hockey game on television was a lot like listening to it on the radio with random photos. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was definitely that was still in the uh, the clutching and grabbing and the dead puck era where everybody was doing the trap and it was mm -hmm. super boring. It, it was, was if yeah. You, if you had a two goal lead going into the third period, you could just shut the TV off. Oh, there pretty was, much. There was no but need to watch. The thing about it at that time was you had to know how to watch it. Yes. 
you could kind of see the puck, but you had to know how hockey worked in order yeah. to watch it on television. And that's no different than, you know, uh, people that, you know, baseball is another sport that I, I love. You, you watch the strategy unfold. You watch how the fielders change positions. You watch, you, you, you have to have a, if you have a deeper understanding of the game, then from a strategic standpoint, it's fascinating. And that's very much the way hockey is. And, you know, now that it's certainly a lot more exciting and a lot more lively uh, for the better, um, still though, it, you know, I don't, I, I don't feel like if I have to explain to people why they should like hockey and why they should watch, then it's just not for you. You know, I, I, I would agree with that because you should be able to watch it for 30 seconds and go, huh, there's something here. Yeah. And I, and, and, you know, playoff hockey, is there any sport better, especially watching on high def TV than playoff hockey? It's amazing. I will say, because I'm old and I came up in the eighties watching hockey, that hockey has not precisely changed for the better. And that's interesting. How, what think, uh, what, in what aspects? The playoffs are fun because they hit. Yeah. They don't hit in the regular season. They don't fight. The emotion is gone. The grudge matches are gone. The rivalry's gone. So it just makes it a little dull. And on top of that, you have a lot of the teams playing the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned when everybody was trapping. Yeah, it used to be nobody trapped because it was illegal. Then it's like, oh, we can trap and win easily. Let's do that. So then everybody does that. And it's become it's become a much more homogenized sport when it wasn't homogenized before. And that even goes deeper. Like when I got into minor league hockey back in the late 90s, there were five double A double A leagues and two triple A leagues at that point. Yep. Yeah, you had the AHL, the IHL, and then when you say double A, I'm assuming you're counting the uh, the ECHL. Mm-hmm. Was it WCHL? The, uh, the Colonial League. Was that Colonial the... or United? Uh, when I watched yeah, it, right. it was the United. The, we the, had uh, yeah, we had a team for eight NHL. seasons. Yep. And, and then. then uh, yeah, the Western Pro, which became oh, the CHL. The yeah, yeah, the WCHL, which became, and then it just started. They just started. Uh, the the A gobbled up the I in two thousand one, I think it was. Yep. And then the E gobbled up the W. Then the C gobbled up the U. And then the West. And then, then the ECHL gobbled up the CHL. And then all of a sudden, you're down to one minor pro league. Yeah. When before that, they had all different flavors. Like the UHL, I loved it until they went legit. Before that, they had no, it was, it was basically two and a half A. It was yeah. almost, because there were a bunch of ex-NHLers. There were a bunch of older dudes. They and, still had, uh, they had some teams that still had affiliation with the NHL. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There, were, there were affiliates at that point. Uh, when the Otters came in. They were affiliated. They were affiliated to the Kansas City Blades of the Eye, who were affiliated with the Canucks. Mm-hmm. The Quad City Mallards were affiliated with the Capitals. The a lot of, I mean, a lot of stuff like that. There were secondary yeah. affiliations, but they yeah, still yeah. had them. But and there then, was still a path, right, path to the NHL. And then they started bringing in rookie requirements yeah. and veteran requirements. So now you had to dress five rookies a night, and then you had to dress. You can only dress seven veterans, and then it just got progressively worse. Yeah, yeah, those sort of artificial rules to I, – I know what you mean. I know what you mean. They, they, they want to tinker with things to achieve a certain outcome or to ch- achieve a certain identity for that league, and it ends up just having the opposite effect. Right. They were, trying to make it, they were trying to make it more like the ECHL as a developmental league rather yeah. than a last-chance league. Yeah. Well, the fans love you because you're a last chance league, but being a developmental league is also cheaper for the owners because mm-hmm. yeah. rookies make a lot less than veterans. Yeah, especially rookies at that level. Correct. Are, yeah, a I mean, lot rookie... of undrafted rookie free agents. Oh, they all were. That yeah, was come out of Division Two hockey or uh, Junior A or Junior B. Certainly mm-hmm. not out of Major Junior. So you had no, you had guys coming out of Major Junior that started really? that, that started there. Not many. I mean, not like not not many. But mostly, you know, they would have, when I first started watching it, they had had a major junior draft. At the end of the year, after the major junior season was over, they would draft 
from the the undrafted major junior guys that aged out. So it happened after the NHL draft. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. These guys were drafted four years after they were NHL draft eligible. Gotcha. gotcha. So they were drafting twenty. Like one of my favorite players ever was in that draft. His name was Curtis Sanford. That name ring a bell? I know Curtis Sanford. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He played for the Owen Sound Platers, went to the NHL draft, thought he was going to be drafted, was not. So he went back to junior. When junior was over, the UHL held their, their, I forget what they called it, but they held their draft and Curtis Sanford was brought into the Missouri River Otters. He played because the Otters' number one goalie was hurt. So they brought him in and he ended up getting a chance, played like 10 games for him, and had like a one five goals goals against. Yeah, he eventually went to the uh, made it all the way up to the Blues. Yep, twice. He played the NHL for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Didn't he? Then the NHL, then the the coach of the Otters at that time was Mark Reed's former St. Louis Blue, former Peoria coach, mm-hmm. and he calls Larry Plow and says, "Dude, you need to get down here. You need to check this kid out." So after that season was over, he was signed. He was in, went into the Blues organization, and after about eighty seven years, it seemed like he finally got up. Yeah, good for him. Statistical, I remember, he's a statistically yeah. insignificant player. Did you actually do that? Because if you looked at the old days, the the UHL, the UHL NHL alumni list was very short. One of them was Miroslav Shatan. Yeah, yeah. He played one game. Yeah. Well, oh, I gotcha. So it wasn't a full time. Yeah. It was full time for a night. Yeah. But I miss those leagues. I miss. I would love to see a rival AAA league. For the guys that age out because it's that that's the big thing is they age out and they go to europe one of my favorite players of all time was uh tim thomas and i even though i live in new hampshire now i grew up in vermont so as a kid I used to go to the uvm games all the time and uh there was that team at uvm that had tim thomas and marty san louis and eric perrin and now the guy who was the coach of montreal canadians dominic ducharme uh aaron miller who played with the la kings for a little while was on that team and uh, Tim Thomas had a similar sort of trajectory. Where yes. He drafted, spent forever in the minors, ended up going to Europe for many years and played in Finland and Sweden and uh, finally got a, a chance coming back and got signed with the Bruins and he played like four games one season. And then uh, I think that was, I can't remember if that was before or after the, lo- the lost season in uh, 05, 06. But he went back to Europe and then came back again and, and then finally got his like full-time chance. If memory serves, he didn't really make it to the NHL until his 30s. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% correct. Yeah, he Which is nuts. Like, almost 10 years in, you know, between Europe and the minors. So where, if you were going to go to a hockey game today, where would you go? Um, well, go see the Boston Bruins. I mean, we're without traffic less than an hour from Boston. Oh, okay. Um, uh, when it comes to New England geography, I don't know a damn thing. Yeah, yeah. We we used to have a lot of AHL teams here. We used to have the Manchester Monarchs, and I'm literally – I mean, it would be 10 minutes to get there. Well, they're, they're still there, but they're an ECHL team now. Yeah, yeah. Well, when they were in Man- – like in Manchester, they were like the AHL mm-hmm. Manchester Monarchs. Oh, I know. I, I know about that swap. Yeah, and then they swapped them with the Ontario Reign, and they became an ECHL team. And now they're not even here anymore. They oh, they're not shut oh. down and left about two years ago. Uh, so, well, I know cool. during the like this past season, half of the ECHL teams and half of the AHL teams didn't even play. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, know how they would have been able to operate. Yeah. Last year, so with any luck, I am going to uh, my first SPHL hockey game this next year. I would love to see the Southern Pro League. I'd love to see how it compares with some of the other lower-level minor leagues. I, I would, too. I've never seen an ECHL game, but obviously I went to a bunch of UHL games. We had a CHL team for a season. Yeah. If you could even call it a team, it was the biggest shit show of hockey I have ever seen in my life. What team was that? Uh, the St. Charles Chill. Huh. If you've not heard of them, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Again, one and done. Uh, Jamie Rivers, whom I love dearly, was the head coach at the beginning, yeah. and it did not work out. He was not a good head coach, and the team would seemingly, seemingly every game I went to, they they opened up a two nothing lead and lost four to two. That's so frustrating. I remember Jamie Rivers. He played with the Bruins for a little while, 
Uh, but uh, just to digress, yeah, so the Monarchs ceased operations like a year before COVID. So it wasn't even because oh. of COVID. Mm. Um, and then we also used to have the uh, the Portland Pirates up in mm -hmm. Maine. And that's only an hour, hour away. Do they not exist the, anymore? Uh, now they're called something else. They're an ECHL team as well. Oh, now. they got not, they got bumped too? Yeah, they're not the Pirates. The Pirates left. I can't remember for the life of me where they were the Capitals AHL affiliate for the longest time. Uh, and now, and then they went a year without hockey and then they brought in a brand new team for Portland, Maine that's in the ECHL. There used to be the Lowell Lock Monsters uh, and then they became the Lowell Devils. Uh, there were the Worcester Sharks, and then they became the Worcester Ice Cats. Uh, no, they were the Ice Cats first. Oh, and then they became the Sharks. That's right. Yeah, uh, Curtis Sanford played oh. there. The Worcester Ice Cats were purchased by the owners of the Peoria, because the Peoria Rivermen have existed for, God, almost almost 40 years now. Yeah. So they, they started in 1985-86 as the Peoria Prancers. I don't know why they needed to change that name, but they did quickly. They became the Peoria yeah. Rivermen of the and they were in the ihl and then once the blues moved a couple of seasons after the blues moved their affiliation from there to the american league in worcester they went down to the echl and they were the first echl team to not be on the east coast mm -hmm. so and then uh, i think about six or seven i guess about maybe eight or nine years after that the owners of the rivermen purchased the ice cats that's right. And then they left. And then they moved and the franchise started. to Peoria. And they put in a new franchise that was yes. the Yeah, okay. Now it's coming back to me. But then it gets better. Then years five years later, uh the Blues, who then bought had to buy Peoria from those owners to keep it afloat, then they got a new owner who didn't have much money. So he sold that franchise to Vancouver who moved them to Utica. Mm -hmm. And now Vancouver's moved that franchise from Utica to Abbotsford, British Columbia. Is that the, um, they used to be affiliated with the Flames, weren't they the Abbotsford yep. Heat? They were the Abbotsford Heat yeah. after they spent two seasons in Quad City as the Quad City Flames. Yep. Which was after they spent three cities in, or three or four years in Nebraska uh, as the right. Omaha Oxar Ben Knights. I remember they had a, they had some weird name. I remember the, playing uh, the old NHL game on um, on PlayStation. I guess it was PlayStation Three at the time. Being like, why don't they just call them the Omaha Knights? Like, what a weird. It's Nebraska this, backwards. Backwards, yeah, yeah. It just that, seems like a weird way to shoehorn in the state into the name needlessly. I would definitely agree it was needlessly, but, you know, that's that's what they did. Yep. So, uh, and one of the things that's great about minor league hockey is how unstable it still is. There's so much movement. I know teams every year move, or uh, there's the federal league, which is like low-level single A, if you were going to quit. It's actually a below the SPHL now. There's a league... <laughs> Which cracks me up that there's a league below the SPHL. I mean, yeah, but they have. Uh, I used to be a big Hartford Whalers fan before mm -hmm. they moved, and uh, there's still there were there was I think they're Danbury where Danbury's in Connecticut. I think Danbury Trashers. Danbury. Yeah, and oh, was that, are, are you talking about the new one or the Trashers? Because the Trashers. Oh, no, there's a, a, there's a new one uh, that I think they were bringing the Whalers name back, or maybe they did. I don't follow the federally much but i do remember the trashers wasn't that the team that had like uh some young kid was listed as the owner and there was he like, was the gm he was 16 gm okay there's actually a uh his name is galante i forget his first name there is a netflix documentary coming out on this team this month oh really that's gonna be yes. fascinating because there was a whole bunch of controversy that surrounded that organization well his father the owner is in prison yeah and then they have something, I thought there was a couple of like huge brawls that happened and they were under a lot of scrutiny from the league. And Well, if you give a 16 year old whose father has a lot of money, the yeah. checkbook and control of a hockey team, who's he going to bring in? He's going to bring in goons. Yeah. He brought in Jason Lawmaster, Nasty yep. John, Nasty Morasty, uh, Brad Wingnut Wingfeld. I mean, everybody he brought in had a crazy nickname. And if you... Yeah. 
never made it to the end. Nickname that's that's in hockey. That's kind of kind of tells you everything you need to know about the kind of player they are. Yeah, we used to have Melvin Mangler Engelstad. So, yeah. or was or no, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we had Engelstad. Not no, no, we had Melnichuk. We had Marty the Meat Grinder Melnichuk. Meat Grinder. Yeah, he ran for uh, uh, Ottawa City Council recently with his sign saying "Vote for the Meat Grinder." So nice. I don't know how that worked, but and yeah, so he. <laughs> would just bring in all of these goons and in the UHL, the UHL was probably, I mean, I don't know as much about other leagues as I do that one. Cause it was, you know, in my backyard, but it was dirty as hell. Yeah. And you know, so they have a salary cap, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of the team owners had casinos. So a player would go to the casino and say, Hey, something waiting for me. Here's your package. Nice. That's how quad city won five years in a row of 50 games. Because they were all getting paid under the table by the owner of the team at the casino. So and then on top of that, that same guy owned three teams at one time. They were really? all doing well at the box office. So he took the proceeds from those and put them into one. The league allowed them to have multiple franchises? Yeah. That's not uncommon in the minors. Because hmm. it's better to, whatever, because they don't care. Well, I mean, yeah, as a, if you're a league president, you want to have more teams than less. That's obviously Correct. Nobody wants to have five teams in their league. That sucks. Uh, so. The UHL actually went down to six teams at one point when they were up to the highest they were ever up to was a 14 or 16. Yeah. And then they went through a couple of years where they just lost like three or four teams a year. Yeah. And, but uh, the trashers, they, they had, they'd get all these crazy goons, the kinds of goons that are like getting like 30 and 40 game suspensions. Yeah. So one guy gets suspended and then they just sign another. Yeah. And then that guy gets suspended. Of goons, yeah. So they had to make a new rule the next year, which we call the Danbury rule, mm-hmm. where if you have a player that's suspended, you can't sign anybody else. Mm-hmm. You have to go down. Let me ask you this: You said earlier, just to go back in the conversation, that how hockey hasn't really evolved, and yet playoff hockey is great. But when we talk about regular season, it gets to be a little bland, especially like around January, February. It's just like, all oh, right, let's get to the. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the end of the season. I agree. I, I felt for a long time, it's just too long. Like 82 games, it's just too long. I'd love to see like a 60-game schedule and one less round of the playoffs. I, Do you know what's I never going to You know what's never gonna happen? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. it, because that's revenue. That's never going to happen. But in a perfect world, if I had the power to do it, I'd love to see a shorter regular season so there's more onus on actually winning games. That's at least what the, as much as I hated the lockouts, the 48-game season, it did create that level of pressure. Agreed. And last season was my favorite season for a long time because of the way they did it. Mm-hmm. And having the the series is rather than just one-offs. That made it a lot more fun and a lot yeah. more physical. Because hockey, when played right, is the most emotionally it's the most emotionally charged game. And I think a big part of that comes from the fact of the way it's called. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, the, you know, they don't talk about how well somebody called the game. It's how well they managed the game. Mm-hmm. Because if you really wanted to call the penalties there, there'd be 15 game misconducts in the first five minutes. Yeah. 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 And then it slows the game to a crawl, which they tried that after yeah. the, after the big lockout, they tried doing all the calls. Mm-hmm. And then they're like 20 power plays a game. Yeah. And people are like, well, this kind of sucks. So now, it, so it went back to referees making judgment calls, which when you make judgment calls, you're going to get, you're going to be wrong half the time yep. for half the people, which makes, which, which creates more energy and then things get missed. And, but if you, the, the best way to improve the, the officiating, there, there's two ways you can do it. One uh, go back to one referee. Two referees is stupid. Mm-hmm. Or two, actually define what the second referee does. Yes. Because there's no definition. There, there. You have two referees watching the same thing from very different vantage points. Yep. So Agreed. Agreed. the guy that doesn't call the penalty that's 20 feet in front of him, but the penalty is called by the guy 70 feet back. Yeah. Which is okay. doesn't make much sense. No, if they made it so where one referee watched the puck and one referee watched the play, it would yep. make more sense. But they didn't yep. do that because the NHL's stupid. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I understand they're never going to shorten the playoff rounds. I just, 
man, it's like it's so long in the season. <laughs> I agree. No, I, I don't summer when they're at the Stanley Cup. Like the season, in my opinion, should be over by like beginning of April. When and, when the Blues won the cup a couple of years ago, it was I, I remember when we got into the third round. Yeah. Going, holy shit, we're only halfway? Yeah. It just yeah so long. <laughs> It really is. And and then, you know, shorter regular season and one round where less teams make the playoffs. It's ridiculous that half the league makes the playoffs. When I started, it was uh, 80%. Yeah. Well, there was only, I'm assuming, did you start watching when there was only 21 teams? Yep. 21 yep. teams. Same here. And I can remember one year, the 16th place team made it to the finals. Yeah. And I mean, just all kinds of goofy crap like that. But that's just always what it was. And the NHL has always been the most ticket-driven yeah. league because that's where they make most of their money. In the 80s, they had a, a terrible television deal. So where that's... It, uh, Sports Channel America. Sports Channel, I knew. Yeah, and then it was such a big deal when they went to ESPN, when they got the ESPN contract, because they were on Sports Channel. Nobody... Like half the country didn't even get Sports Channel. Well, the best part about when they went to ESPN is they went to ESPN two, which I didn't even get then. So thanks, thank you NHL, thank you very much, big bunch of nothing. The NHL has always done the. They come up with these great ideas that really just screw the pooch. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh, Sports Channel America is going to pay us a little bit more money. Yeah, sure, we'll go there instead of ESPN. Yeah, yeah. They could have been on ESPN in the eighties. Yeah. Before <laughs> the NFL, before Major League Baseball, before yeah. all of it. They, 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 the NHL has a history of incredibly short-sighted uh, decision-making and people who literally, like, the, the phrase can't see the forest through the trees could, like, you could look up that in a dictionary or whatever, and it would be a picture of the NHL. Oh, completely. Uh, the NHL logo and all the owners. It's ridiculous. It's And that's, like, their legacy ever since ever teams. Yeah, ever. <laughs> ever since they were four. But the NHL did not start with six. They started with four. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, being my my Don Quixote moment is I will fight the big six forever. Why is that? Because it doesn't exist. How so? The original six does not exist. It is not a thing. Okay. Who are the original NHL teams? Uh, are we going back? So are you including like the Montreal Maroons? Of course and... I am. They were the originals. Okay. okay. Uh, let's see. The Maroons, um, the Canadians, the... Let's see, uh, Vancouver Millionaires? Nope. Um, that was the PCHL. Uh, New York Americans? Nope. They hmm. came later. They came in the 20s. Now, the original four teams were the Ottawa Senators, the Toronto oh, Arenas, the, yeah. uh, and then the Maroons and the Canadiens. Interesting footnote to that, the Ottawa Senators, when they folded, they didn't fold. They moved to St. Louis. What uh, what were they when they moved to St. Louis? St. Louis Eagles. One, they were a one and done. Another one. We and done. we were an American League city. We've had hockey longer than some of the the original six cities. Mm -hmm. We had because uh, the the St. Louis Arena was built in 1929, and they used it until 1995. The St. Louis Flyers, the St. Louis Braves. For a time, we were Chicago's uh, AAA affiliate. Um, and then there was there was another team that I don't remember. I mean, I never saw any of them play, but yeah. uh, Phil Esposito started his pro career in St. Louis. No kidding. Yep. Huh. But see, the, the NHL history is far more interesting than what they tell us. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, the, the, the original six. No, Chicago came in in the 30s. Yeah. Detroit was a Stanley Cup winner before even joining the NHL. They were yeah. the Victoria yeah. Cougars. They were the last non-NHL team to win the Cup. A lot of those old, old franchises that never survived, uh, it's fascinating. Like, I'm fascinated by the Montreal Maroons. That there were what about the Quebec Bulldogs? The Quebec Bulldogs, yeah. Uh, that there were just two teams in Montreal, let alone the province of Quebec. Oh, I know. All, the... it, it's, like, it's fascinating that all these other teams existed, and a lot of people don't even know that they were there or that right. they ever existed. Who was the first goalie to wear a mask in a game? Uh, I feel like this is a trick question because everybody says it's Plant, but it's there was another gentleman. Um, he played for the Maroons. His name was Clint Benedict. Clint Benedict. 
Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I mean. He didn't wear it full time though, right? It was no, not- he didn't wear it full time. Plant yeah. was the first one to go full time. Yeah. I think Benedict only wore his when he had an injury. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I wish the NHL would give us. The really cool, yeah. wacky stuff. And I don't know. I, I, that's just a, that's why I will always fight against anybody saying the original six. Big six yeah. is fine. Stable six is fine. Original six is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Nobody cares, but I mean, it's never going to change. <laughs> well, I know there, there's people that care and like, you're right. It doesn't get promoted as much. I mean, stuff like that would make a great mini series, a great docuseries about those old school when hockey was really, really uh, tough. You know, well, I mean, I think a big part of it, it was so different though. Oh yeah, I think and exactly. I think a big part of why they don't talk about those teams and those clubs, like the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Philadelphia Quakers, the, I mean, uh, the New York Americans before they moved to Rochester and joined uh, the American League, is because if you looked at that game, it wouldn't look like hockey. Yeah. So, you know, and then they they went. I think they went twenty years with the the original six, as it were, and that's when it that's when the, the closer to modern rules started to emerge. So it's kind of like how the St. Louis Cardinals didn't start in the National League. That's right, yeah. They started in uh, the rival league to the National League, the one that was willing to serve beer at their games. The <laughs> National League did the not. Fun league. Yeah. Yes, exactly. They were the fun league. And they started off as the St. Louis Brown Stockings. Mm-hmm. And then they became the Perfectos. And then they became the Cardinals. And... I'll give you $4 if you can tell me what the St. Louis Cardinals are named after. Uh, I'm not a, I don't know. It's not the bird. I'm not going to get the $4. It's not the bird. Is it the, uh, the, uh, church leader? No, it's the The color of red. Oh, uh, the car, there was a woman in the stands who yelled, come on, you Cardinals. And that Mm. was it. And that's how they became the Cardinals. The owner at the time was a woman in the early 1900s, the first female major league sports owner ever. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot of facts like this. I mean, I could just go out. But we're going to go. We're actually going long, which is awesome because it's a fun conversation. Yeah, but, yeah, I could talk. I mean, we could go easily another half hour just talking hockey. I could go longer than that. and But it, nobody wants to hear that. Because anyway, um, I th- hopefully everybody wanted to hear this because this was a fun conversation. But what are you we didn't even we didn't talk about that what am i yes uh i'm a human being okay fair enough okay. what kind of music does that human being make well so the the band i play in dust prophet we we're largely we play stoner metal doom metal uh you know with some psychedelic sort of elements thrown in um but I like all sorts of other music. I've played in industrial metal bands in the past. I, I was actually largely an industrial metal musician for the majority of my teenage years and uh, early 20s and whatnot. It wasn't until the past probably five years that I really got into you know, stoner rock, doom metal, stuff like that. I didn't actually know stoner metal existed until about eight years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All of a sudden, the guy's like, do you like stoner metal? I'm like, what? He's like, electric wizard. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of subgenres in metal that just gets ridiculous. Everybody wants to have a new classification because everybody wants to be the the coolest person in the room, so to speak. Well, that's it, my favorite thing about doom metal. Existed for a long time, but you know, I could probably name ten sub subgenres of doom metal. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it ridiculous. completely is. I'm sorry, we're getting off track. And same with extreme metal. Oh, to me, God, yes. like death metal and black metal, I understand that they're different. But they have so much in common that the, they have more in common than they have that's different. The, he, the, the biggest thing that there's different about is just how the guitars sound. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, there's not I, much. I was playing uh, an American black metal artist for a friend of mine today. And he goes, is that death metal? It sounds like death metal. I'm like, no, it's it's black metal. He's like, but, are you sure? Yeah. And then you start trying to explain the differences and it, it, some I've had to do that with friends that don't follow a lot of metal. And I just, I can see them getting confused. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I even talking about? <laughs> like it's a, They're so similar. So I tend to like, and then you have progressive death metal, technical death metal, symphonic black metal. Uh, I will go metal. to my grave. Brutal death metal. Yep. 
and technical death metal are the same thing. They're yeah. I I I, I would be pained to tell you what the actual differences are. And I'm somebody that loves extreme metal. So I just tend to say extreme metal. Oh yeah. Like catch. But my favorite is melodic extreme, melodic brutal metal. That's right. All that is, is (laughs) occasional clean passages and some harmonizing with, uh, within the brutality. The occasional, like just, just a little, just like, like, like vanilla. I said a little bitty ting. Ting. There, melody. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different. Totally different. Totally, totally different thing. Yeah. No, it's the same fucking thing. It's always yeah. the same thing. So we play stoner, stoner and doom metal, and uh, we do like to have like a lot of the psychedelic elements and a lot of heavy uh, delays, um, a lot of clean passages with um, just multiple uh, layers of music going on. Whether it's multiple trackings of guitar or even a bass uh, in the studio, we have multiple tracks of drums. Our drummer Tyler, he does his his primary drum track, but then we'll go back and we'll add percussion or extra toms or just something like that. I'm always fascinated with um, trying to sort of elevate the uh, the audio uh, senses, the audio attack that sort of comes out of uh, the final recordings and whatnot. And I, I love having layers and layers of different instrumentation that complement each other. It can certainly get messy fast. So it's important that, you know, it, it, you keep them all separate so they can clearly be heard in the final mix. But at the same time, I just think it's really cool. I hear you. I, I'm under the impression that you have a new single coming out shortly. Where, yes. could, where could that be heard? On uh, the 19th. So coming up this week, uh, it's going to debut on uh, the Ripple Effect on the 17th. So you'll be able to stream it from their website directly uh, for two days. And then on the 19th, it'll be available everywhere. So you can get it from our Bandcamp, and that's just dustprofit.bandcamp.com. And I'll share a link to that in the, cool. the, the description. And is there, a new, is there an album coming up soon? Or? Um, well, what we're going to do is, because uh, COVID was tough for us, uh, well, it was obviously tough for everybody. Let me, you know, obvious statement alert. But um, what happened in uh, the lockdown was our singer at the time, we used to be a four piece and we had more of a stoner rock sound as opposed to stoner metal. Um, she randomly quit the band one day through text <laughs> message. Yeah, through text message. Nice. Super, super professional. Um, and our drummer <laughs> at the time, uh long story but he essentially just didn't have the heart to sort of go back to auditioning people and looking and that whole grind so he left so the bass player and keyboardist uh sarah the two of us you know we're, we're not going out like this we're just going to keep pushing forward we'll find a way to make it work we're gonna keep well in in this day and age um as sad as it is, but it, the music industry is not what it once was, and it's become a very different thing. And changing out of members is much, much more common than it ever was. Yes, yeah, but it was still a, a huge uh, monkey wrench thrown into the plans. Understandable, especially at the time. Yeah, yeah. So we decided we we're going to scrap all the old material. We were going to we had we, for a while we had sort of wanted to make the change to a heavier sound and something that's more indicative of what's coming out on the nineteenth. Um, so this is a chance to finally do that. We're essentially treating this as a whole new band. And we found our drummer, Tyler, and decided to carry on as a three-piece. I, I took over the vocals. That's a, a, another big reason why we're sort of switching uh, to this heavier sound because, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> as you can tell by my voice, I can't pull off female vocals very well. I can, so, imagine, I can understand that. And also, yeah. uh, there's a big thing right now is because the the effects of COVID, like last year there were about 18 billion records released, which I completely yeah. understand because everybody was sitting on them waiting for tours and then all the tours got canceled. So everybody put their albums out. Well, there's not as many albums coming out this year. Yeah. Cause so we're, we're starting over from scratch. So we took all our old music down because it no longer represents who we are, what we do or the style. And so we're just going to release this single on the 19th. And in a couple of months, we're going to release another single and maybe a third single out. We're just going to release a few singles for the rest of the year and maybe early 2022. And we're aiming to have a full length come out, which will be our debut full length album, probably late spring of 2022. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a ton of material in the can right now. We have a ton of stuff already recorded. We're just going to put out singles, promote the crap out of them for 
you know, however long it takes and just continue to build momentum with this new sound and new approach. And then we'll release the, for the full album. Well, sounds good to me. That's probably what a lot of people should be. That's what a lot of people are doing. And that's what a lot of people should be doing right now, because yeah. it's, I, I, as a concert goer, I am not as comfortable as I would like to be going to shows. I agree. I'd say here. Uh, I went to Black Crows, which everybody heard about a couple of weeks ago, and it, the issue was some people that I ran into on the shuttle bus back from the show who could not deal with the fact that I was wearing a mask. Really? Yes. Uh, then he started threatening terrorism. And, oh, my God. Yeah, it, it, it went pretty awesome, and I need to stop talking about it because everybody's heard it, and that's what it is. So unless there is anything else you need to let us know about, no, um, you know, just uh, dustprofit.com is our website and uh, dustprofit at uh, dot bandcamp.com is where the single, the single's called The High Capital. It's um, lyrically, it's inspired by Paradise Lost. So I take a lot of, uh, a lot of inspiration from Gothic literature, biblical apocalyptic stories, uh, the Old Testament, the fire and brimstone. We are not a religious <laughs> band by any means i just find there's a uh, lot of great inspiration yeah. in that book though i i find an angry god who kills people because he's slightly agitated to be fascinating <laughs> oh so you so, so you mean all of them okay yeah 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 but especially in the well <laughs> what is the hebrew bible but uh yes. you know ultimately the christian lore and all that uh but yeah so paradise lost for a book or uh, an epic poem that's over 300 years old, it still has such vivid imagery. And so the High Capital, which is the single coming out on the 19th, it's essentially about, you know, not only Lucifer's fall, but there's a, probably halfway through, he goes through the realization where he's like, oh man, I really screwed up. And <laughs> I, I, I'm, I put myself in this situation because of my own ego and because of my own, uh you know in inability to be flexible more or less and there's a lot of parallels that to, to i i pictured a buddy comedy when you said yeah. that yeah I, I pictured that story easily being a buddy comedy it could be i mean could. i could see i could see that as jay and silent bob yeah you know it's funny we talk about uh like sitcoms and like uh romantic comedies and stuff like that i was having this conversation with a friend you can look at a lot of those like really um, bubblegum romantic comedy movies uh, that were huge in the late 90s and early 2000s. And the behavior of a lot of those main characters is borderline psychopathic. Like, oh, completely. Uh, uh, my Best Friend's Wedding, for example. Look at that movie where like her whole thing is that she's in love with her best friend. So she's going to break up his wedding, <laughs> like traumatize him so that she can like land him. as. Uh, that's not even remotely as sociopathic as saving Silverman. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, especially the scene where he gets the ass implants. And I, I, I found the scene where, uh, he's propositioning the girl, uh, they're, they're outside doing their Neil Diamond impersonation. And, uh, like he's like, hey baby, and the girl's like, sorry, I'm with a real artist, and it's a mine, <laughs> and he like <laughs> fake lasso in his point. <laughs> but you're right though, if you look at that from like a real life standpoint, all those movies, if you had that sort of behavior in real life, you'd be in prison. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. I mean, this you is would, okay. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we got to put a pin in this one because this is too fascinating. Let's save this. Okay, we'll have to do a part two. I will definitely do it because, oh, my God, that is a can of worms. Anyway, uh, I will say thank you very much for joining us. And yeah, this, uh, this is the Glacier Musical Podcast. It doesn't play in Peoria. <laughs>